Evagrius Ponticus, Evagrius Ponticus, Evagrius of Pontus, end of the fourth century, born about 345, he dies in 399. Evagrius was a Byzantine nobleman in Constantinople, in the emperor's court, from a very important family. He served in the court and he had a crisis and a conversion. His crisis was supposed to be a love affair with somebody else's wife and he realized this was not the thing to do, and so he changed his life, and he gave up his courtier life and abandoned that, and he went out to the desert to live with the Monacoi, the early monastics. And it was only about you know two generations old, monasticism, in uh, the Egyptian desert and in the deserts of uh, present-day Palestine. Around the year 300 or so, Christian free-form asceticism had become organized by Antony Abbott and by various other monastic leaders into the early monastic communities. And Evagrius joins these communities sometime around maybe the year 370 or something. It was difficult for him because most of the early monks were peasants who were used to a difficult life. Evagrius was from a noble family, had been used to a very soft life. So he had to get acclimatized to the difficult asceticism and the life in the desert. And he talks a good deal about that. In the fourth century, monasticism became what I call the kind of locus or bearer of mystical tradition, that these organizations of a particular form of life, a professional life of prayers, became the center, not the whole, but the center of Christian mystical praying and Christian mystical uh, teaching. And the monastic layer of Christian mysticism is the fundamental layer from the fourth century down to the 12th century and afterwards. Most of the great teachers were monastic teachers and even the early bishops who were important for the Christian tradition, people like Ambrose and Augustine in the West and Basil and Gregory of Nyssa in the East, they were bishops but they were also often monastic founders and sometimes lived the monastic style of life. So the history of Christian mysticism and monasticism are very closely entwined from the period of around the year 400 down through 1200 and, and afterwards. And it still, of course, remains true today how significant monasticism is for current spirituality, mysticism, and, and the like. Evagrius had been well-educated theologically, particularly in the traditions of origin. So what Evagrius brings to the monastic world is a new theology that enabled him to express the values of early monasticism in a theological form that was much influenced by Origen and Origen's teaching. Evagrius talked about the soul's progress to God in terms of three basic steps. There was the practical level of ascetic living, which is what the monks are practicing here in the desert, what he called the praktike, it's an ascetic living in which the monk struggles against the evil inclinations in fallen humanity. We call them the seven deadly sins. For Evagrius, there are eight wrong thoughts or wrong tendencies. Logis moi is the, is the Greek term here. They're really the ancestor of the seven deadly sins. And he lays out ascetic treatises in which he takes the wisdom of the monks about the necessary kind of ascetical practices you need to help overcome these tendencies in your life in order to reach what he calls apatheia. Apatheia. 
which is a term that Stoic philosophers had used to describe their basic kind of indifference to everything. But Evagrius doesn't mean it that way. Evagrius means apathia as a perfect kind of balance that you can arrive at after you've overcome most of your evil tendencies. His disciple, Cashin, talks about it as purity of heart. Purity of heart, or perfect self-balance would be another way. And that's the goal of the ascetical effort, apatheia. If you've reached a certain kind of balance, then, if you've reached a certain kind of purity of heart, then you're ready to begin the contemplative stage. Contemplative knowing. The theoretical stage, theoretike. And you contemplate God in nature, but then on the higher level you contemplate God theologically, theologike. That is, that's the contemplation of the Trinity, which he also talks about as pure prayer or knowledge of the Trinity, gnosis. Three stages. Practical asceticism, contemplation of creation as a product of God, and then direct contemplation of God as Trinity and pure prayer. One of the modes that Vagrius uses can be found in a treatise that he writes on prayer, short treatise. It consists of 153 short sayings we call them aphorisms. They're meant to be meditated upon because when you first read them over, either they seem you know, kind of bizarre or you wonder exactly what he's trying to get at. This was a mode of teaching among the desert abbas. A young monk would go to a desert father with a problem, some difficulty in his life, with his prayer life or with his ascetical practice. And he'd ask the abba, give me a word. Give me a word, give me something. And the Abba would give him a brief saying that he then was supposed to meditate upon and try to understand and use for his prayer practice and also for his ascetical practice. What Evagrius is doing in the De Orazioni is giving you a series of such aphorisms on the nature of prayer. And you just don't read them over. You can read them over, but you've got to think about them. And if you think about them, pray over them, meditate on them, they begin to reveal a certain depth of teaching about the nature of prayer. Let me give you a few of these aphorisms as the examples. So there's 153 chapters. Chapter 3. Prayer is a continual intercourse of the spirit with God. What state of soul is then required that the spirit thus might strain after its master without wavering, living constantly with him? So what state of soul is required for that? Well, the state of soul is apatheia, the health of soul, the perfect balance, the purity of heart. Another chapter, chapter 23. If you know how to practice patience, you shall ever pray with joy. So prayer and patience have to go together. Another chapter. At times, just as soon as you rise to pray, you pray well. At other times, work as you may, you achieve nothing. But this happens so that by seeking still more intently and then finally reaching the mark, you can possess your prize without fear of loss. The prize being pure prayer. Chapter 52. The state of prayer can be aptly described as a habitual state of imperturbable calm. That's apatheia. Again, there are many ways to translate it. Imperturbable calm, perfect balance, purity of heart, etc. 
It snatches to the heights of intelligible reality the spirit who loves wisdom and which is truly spiritualized by the most intense love. So you see, bringing in a whole series of patience, love, apathia, this very rich kind of term, it's almost impossible to really translate adequately into English. One that I like, chapter 60. If you are a theologian, you truly pray. If you truly pray, you are a theologian. <laughs> that might rule out contemporary theology, but that's the meaning of theology for the Desert Fathers. That is, the theologian is one who prays well. The person who reaches theoria theologicae, theological contemplation, direct contemplation of the Trinity, prays the best. Another one, chapter 101. Just as bread is nourishment for the body and virtue for the soul, so is spiritual prayer nourishment for the intelligence. Now, intelligence here is the Greek term nous, and it means the higher dimension of knowing. Intelligence might not be the best translation here. What Evagrius is doing here is uh, taking a text. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And it's actually a text that's crucial to all early Christian understanding of humanity, all Christian anthropology. <coughs> Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 13, May your spirit and soul and body be kept sound. Spirit and soul and body. So there are three basic components in the Pauline anthropology. There's the body, there's the soul, but higher than soul is spirit, pneuma, that is the direct opening toward the divine. And before the entry of Aristotelian thought in the 13th century, almost all Christian anthropology was based on humans as composed of these three aspects, if you will. And that's what our friend uh, Vagris is saying here. Bread nourishes your body, virtue nourishes your soul, but spiritual prayer nourishes your noose, or pneuma, your higher dimension, where you have an access towards God. The value of prayer is another one. The value of prayer is not found merely in its quantity, but especially in its quality. So you can read through Evagrius's little treatise and find these aphorisms that if you think about them, meditate on them, you get a deeper understanding of what he means by this progression of prayer towards the pure prayer that is identical with theological contemplation that gives you some kind of access to the Trinity.